in our family uh, that we like to watch. Our kids watched that last night as we are focusing in on the person of John the Baptist. All right. In Mark chapter six, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at somebody that Jesus referred to as one of the greatest, the greatest person born. The greatest man born of a woman, uh, John the Baptist, who is a relative of Jesus. And we were first introduced to John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1. And he is described as this messenger who was preparing the way for Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, we have this beautiful narrative of, of what we just watched of John the Baptist getting the, the high honor of baptizing the Son of God. And he felt unworthy even to, to, to undo a strap of Jesus' sandal. And so we're going to look at the, the life and the death of John the Baptist. And I've titled this message, A Faithful Man. John the Baptist was a faithful man. He was a prophet. He was sent by God to prepare the way. He preached repentance. He was radical. We, like we enjoy hearing about him and, and reading about him in, in scripture. But I think if he was alive today and he was in our community group, we might have a hard time with John the Baptist. If John the Baptist was a, was a member here at, at City Church Garland, we might have a hard time with this guy. He might seem a little bit weird and a little bit rough and a little bit radical and a, and a little bit extreme as, as many of the, 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 quote, heroes of the Bible, many of those that we hold up as honorable, great men and women of the scripture who did great things for the Lord. Um, if they were in our time and space, we might be challenged by them and convicted. And, and uh, he preached repentance and called people to change their lifestyle. So let's go ahead and look at the story here. In Mark chapter 6. And Mark focuses in specifically on the death. And the narrative around the death of John the Baptist. Mark 6 starting in verse 14. Father as we open up your word. I pray that you would open our eyes. To see wonderful things in your word. I pray that you would stir our hearts. To be faithful men and women, faithful followers who are willing to pay whatever price you call us to pay to follow you. I pray that we would see you for who you are and God that we would have a greater resolve to be faithful men and women as a result of our time here together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse 14, if you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen. If you need a Bible, we have, we have some Bibles there at the back uh, or over to the side. We've got some extra um, Bibles. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version Bible. King Herod heard of it for Jesus, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers... Or at work in him. But others said. He is Elijah. And others said. He is a prophet. Like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it. He said. 
He said, um, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came, an opportunity came for Herod on his birthday, uh, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish. Ask me uh, for wh whatever you wish, and I will give you half of my kingdom, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. For what she, um, she, she came in immediately with haste, and the king asked, saying, I want, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oath and his guest, and he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an, an ex, ex, uh, executioner, with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Aren't you encouraged this morning? <laughs> Here is a rated R scene of John the Baptist um, uh, Getting his life taken. Um, the, the scene goes with, uh, it, it starts us off here with Herod having a birthday party. Okay? Uh, Herod was, was a leader, a political leader in, in the, the first century. And Herod was having a political uh, a birthday party with religious, uh, he had noblemen, he had political leaders, he had influential men at this party. Okay? And and they were probably drinking, and probably a bit tipsy, and it probably got it, it got dark and, and rated R, if you will, right? And and he he made a commitment to giving to his um, stepdaughter, which was technically his niece. It was really really messed up. A lot of a lot of bad stuff happening going on here. Uh, that that he would pretty much do anything that she asked, and. <clears throat> She wanted to see John the Baptist beheaded. And he was, he was probably regretting his foolish decision in that moment. He was probably regretting it because he had John the Baptist put in prison to protect him from his wife Herodias. Herodias was his sister-in-law that he ended up marrying. Okay? So it, it sounds like a bad soap opera, like right? it sounds like a, a bad uh, mo a, a mo scene, movie scene of a, a bad scene of a movie, and 
And John the Baptist is caught up in the middle of all this. you got this godly, faithful man caught up in the middle of all this dark sin surrounding him. Uh, let me just say, first of all, our big idea about uh, today is that the life of John the Baptist was an example of faithfulness, which reminds us of the cost that accompanies faithfulness to God. The life of John the Baptist was an example of faithfulness, which reminds us of the cost that accompanies faithfulness to God. John the Baptist was on the scene with his ministry before Jesus started his public ministry. And the word was getting out about this guy. That this guy this guy's a prophet. Israel hadn't seen prophets in, in years. And so they were fascinated. Here, here's this upcoming prophet. And he is legit. He is sold out. People are coming out to this guy into the wilderness to hear what he has to say. And he was, by the way, a relative of Jesus. Right In Luke chapter 1, we have the record of, of his birth and, and the, the events leading up to his birth. And let me just give a brief overview of some titles and descriptions of John the Baptist. Um, he was called a baptizer because he was baptizing people. I guess the Baptist could argue that he was the first Baptist. Right? Uh, so he was baptizing people. He was considered righteous and holy. He was living a godly life. A consecrated life. He was a witness. He was a witness. A faithful witness. He was a, a burning and shining light as Jesus described him. He was a voice in the wilderness as the prophet Isaiah spoke about this, this guy who would be a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. He was the friend of the bridegroom as he described himself. And we'll get back to that later. He was a prophet. And Jesus considered him uh, one of the greatest prophets. Um, he was also referred to as Elijah. The Old Testament, the Scripture talks about Elijah coming back, um, and so he ministered in the the spirit, the power of Elijah. Uh, and he was also described as as great. And his message was one of repentance and hope. His message was one of repentance and hope. He was calling people to change their ungodly lifestyles, to turn away from their sins, to, to, to get right with God, to repent and experience forgiveness of sins, get baptized. And he was doing all this, this preaching and preparing the way for Jesus to come. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He, he spoke about the coming Messiah as as Israel hoped in this Messiah who would come and set things right, John too had this, this profound anchor of hope that the Messiah would come and bring rescue and would bring redemption. He had a message about he had a message about the kingdom. He had a message about righteousness and holiness. He had a message about the baptism, being baptized and forgiveness. And he also had a message about judgment and eternal punishment. The unquenchable fire, as he describes it in Luke chapter 3. And so he wasn't holding back. He was bringing the message as a faithful witness. Now, the first thing I just want to point out about his life, and we're going to uh, talk, emphasize more of his life in this, this message, was, was that he was a holy man. This was a man who had been set apart from the womb. He was filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And Luke 1 tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Herod knew that he was a holy man and he was intrigued by him. Even though Herod was unholy and Herod had all his, his sinful issues, he was intrigued by him. He knew that he was, he was a holy and a righteous man and he was afraid. And he, he had him imprisoned to keep him safe from his wife Herodias who did not like him. Okay? So he could, he could protect John by at least keep him, keeping him in jail. Now let's briefly look at Luke chapter 1 at the, the message, uh, the angel's message uh, about John. For he will be great before the Lord. He will not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Isn't that cool? Filled with the Spirit in, even in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I mean just think about this historical moment. That John the Baptist got to live in. This transition from Old Testament to New Testament. The Israelites, uh, they, there was this there hundreds of years of silence. And they hadn't had uh, much, much, uh, many words from the Lord. And, and, and they hadn't seen a whole, God doing a whole lot at this time. And then God raises up this prophet before Jesus, the greatest hero, comes on the scene. And John the Baptist gets the great privilege of having a front row seat and being the first one to announce the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just think about how, how great and how honorable his, his role and his position in history is. Okay? Now he, it was a short life he had to live, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that here. Um, but he, the time that he had seeing the Messiah come was, was a glorious moment. Um, John's lifestyle. So he was kind of a, a peculiar type of guy. Matthew 3, 4 says that he wore camel's hair. Camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay? So he wasn't dressing, he wasn't trying to dress to keep up with the fads of the day. He wasn't wearing expensive, costly, cool clothing. He wasn't trying to impress people by his cool outfits. And he, and he wasn't living in luxury. He wasn't living, he wasn't eating huge meals and overindulging in gluttonous uh, uh, meals and parties. He lived a fasted lifestyle. He was, he was consecrated to the Lord. And by the way, his, it wasn't necessarily his, his dress and his diet that made him holy. Okay? Jesus was holy completely. And Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And Jesus was eating with sinners. Right? And Jesus was holy. Right? But, but John the Baptist was consecrated and set apart for the purposes of God. And he was willing to, to, to do some things that some of the other people weren't doing. Like living on wild uh, lo locusts and wild honey and, and living out in the wilderness. And he lived on mission. John the Baptist 
was the kind of guy that, you know, if, if somebody, if he's standing in a group of, I, I picture him as a guy that, if he's in a group of men and a, group, and a guy starts to tell a lewd joke, and everybody else is laughing, he's the kind of guy that just kind of keeps a serious face and doesn't laugh at a bad joke, an immoral joke. He's the kind of guy, I picture him as, a, as the kind of guy who will confront their boss when their boss is doing something morally um, uh, compromising, when they morally compromise, and when there's ethic, when there's ethic compromise within the company, he's the kind of guy that confronts a moral issue that's not right. He he's the kind of guy when, when everybody else wants to chill out and be entertained, he's like, let's go hand out gospel tracts and let's go preach. He, he was living on mission. And he wanted, he was consecrated to the purposes of God. He was set apart for God. And God worked powerfully through him. Now, briefly just want to highlight Herod's respect for John. So Herod feared John. He kept him safe. Herod was greatly perplexed when he heard him. Okay, here's, a, here's a leader, a political leader who is intrigued and interested in this holy man, this godly man. He was intrigued by his life. And it says, yet he heard him gladly. So he had John put in jail and he kind of, I guess, had his own personal preacher. They didn't have podcasts in those days where you could just download uh, your, 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 your favorite preachers and listen to them. Uh, so, so Herod had John the Baptist in prison and he could listen to him anytime he wanted. And he listened to him gladly. I guess you could say, uh, you know, if Herod was around today, he would be a podcaster. Like, and he would, be, he would be all for, yeah, great, great podcast, right? But he wasn't a doer of the word. He wasn't, he wasn't responding to the message that John preached so that he can experience a clear conscience and forgiveness of his sins. He continued to live in adultery. And I think there's many podcasters out there, by the way, in our day, who love some good preaching and teaching, but lack some action behind what's being preached and taught. May we not be those. May we be those who experience the blessing of hearing God's word and responding to it. Herod had, um, well, Herodias... He was honored by Herod and held in high esteem by Herod and feared by Herod. But Herodias hated him. Herodias, Herod's wife, illegitimately married to Herod. Um, she held a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. This, this, this by the way, will happen if you call people to, to repentance. If you call people to a change of life, as Jesus did. As his disciples did, as John the Baptist did, when, when you confront sin and, and you let people know it's not right for you to continue in this, this path leads down, the down, down to destruction. It's going to cause people to hate you and not like you. You will be um, rejected, as we talked about last week. Rejected and ridiculed and looked down upon and hated and John the Baptist didn't hold back any punches. It, it wasn't just um, to it wasn't just one class of people that he preached to and called out, uh, called to, to repent of their sins. He preached even to the powerful in his day. He was a prophetic voice to the to the powerful, influential people, calling them to repent as well, which led to his death. Now Herod, 
Herod had this guilty conscience regarding uh, John the Baptist because he, he allowed he allowed well he had him killed he, he did it reluctantly he didn't want him to be killed so he had this this guilty conscience he, I'm sure he felt really bad and there's probably some superstition going on here because when Herod heard about Jesus and Jesus's disciples doing these miracles Herod's like oh man John the Baptist has come back from the dead he's gonna get me. He, 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 was, he was being haunted. He was being haunted. His conscience was, was troubled. And he was being haunted. And he had this superstition. That, well, what if this is John the Baptist? What if this Jesus guy who's rising up, whose fame is spreading, who's doing these miracles, casting out demons and healing people, and what if this is John the Baptist raised from the dead? Because uh, some, some said... Some said that. Some said that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work. But others said he's Elijah. Others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But Herod heard of it. And he said, John who I beheaded has been raised. Okay? So he's freaking out. He's, he's troubled. He's having a hard time sleeping at night. By the way, sin will always take us further than we want to go. And keep us longer then we want to stay and make us pay more than we want to pay. Sin will lead us to do things that we will regret in the end. It will lead us to do things that causes us to lose sleep at night. It's been said that a clear conscience, a good conscience, is the softest pillow to lay your head down on. Amen. And it's only the blood of Jesus that can bring about that clear conscience. And when you and I turn to the Lord in repentance and faith, he clears and cleans the deepest of sin stains in our lives. Amen? But John or Herod didn't take advantage of this opportunity of repentance for his immorality. And he ended up um, making some poor decisions here. John the Baptist was also not only a holy man. He was an honest man. He was a man who spoke, who not only did what was right... But he called others to do what was right. And particularly we see here, uh, he said he had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Okay, it's just wrong. Okay, so, so John wasn't, John didn't like ease up and water down the message and be like, well, you know, you're Herod. You know, I guess that's okay for you. You know, maybe maybe we can change that. Maybe the Bible didn't really mean that. You know, he didn't do any of that. He didn't do all that. The, the mental gymnastics and justification with the Bible to try to justify the sinfulness of this powerful leader. He called him out. He said, this is unlawful. This is ungodly. This is, this is not right. By the way, when we compromise morally and, and give in to immorality it oftentimes leads to bad theology and, and it leads to deception and being deceived and us exchanging good solid truth that sets us free for destructive heresies that harm us and harm those around us John the Baptist was a man of conviction he was a man of, of courage moral courage he was willing to say this is wrong Herod and even if Herod appeared to like him a little bit, 
Like, hey, you know, I'm going to protect you, John. I'm going to keep you in here from Herodias because she wants to take you out. I enjoyed hearing your preaching. You know, he, John the Baptist didn't give in to um, um, compromise. Now, of course, John the Baptist wasn't Jesus, but he sure was a great godly man who prepared the way for Jesus. Notice, here, here's a sample of his preaching in, in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to baptism, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit, keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to make these stones, to, from, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not produce, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he was an honest man who was preaching the truth with conviction. Luke 3 is another example. He was speaking to injustices and calling people to repent of injustice. Uh, verse 10, it says, the crowds asked him, what shall we do? Okay, they're, they're convicted. They're hearing John preach. They realize, okay, I need to repent. I need to change. I need to change my mind and change my direction in life. But, like, what do I do? Where do I go from here? Like, we need some practical application. Okay? And this is what he said. He said, whoever has two tunics, two jackets, is to share with the one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And, and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, uh, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort, extort, extort more money, uh, money from anyone by threats or false accusations. And be content with your wages. So he's not holding back. He's, he's preaching repentance. John the Baptist was not concerned about being politically correct. He was concerned about pleasing the Lord. He wasn't focused on the cares of this life. He fixed his hope upon the coming Messiah. He wasn't seeking the comfort or pleasure. He was seeking to compel and prepare people for the Lord's coming. And the next is that John was a humble man. So he was getting a lot of respect and a lot of honor, a lot of fame, being held in high esteem. Like here's... We, Israel has a prophet now. This is a prophet of God. But he didn't let it all go to his head. Okay? Because, because when, when things got real big and then it started to kind of go down, because it was time to transition over to Jesus, the greater one, the ultimate hero, the, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one in whom Israel has been looking for and waiting for, listen, listen to what, what he said. In John 3, starting verse 26, John came and came and they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and they're all going to him. Like, what do we do? That church over there, they're getting bigger over there. And like our, our folks are going over there now. What do we do? Well, John's response was this. He said, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing, unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have 
been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think this is one of the most powerful statements of humility. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. John was a humble man who recognized his place in the sovereign plan of God. He recognized his place and he faithfully fulfilled his role in the sovereign plan of God. And that included martyrdom. That included death. That included having his ministry grow real big and have a lot of, lot of honor and respect and a, a great impact and great influence. And then all of a sudden it starts to, to diminish. It goes to nothing. Okay? Now, of course, his legacy carries on. And he prepared the way for Jesus. And he, his, his voice, he, he had made his impact. He had done what God had called him to do. Notice how he says that, that no one can have anything. Let's see. He says a person cannot receive anything unless it's given to him from heaven. John was humble. This is a humble perspective. He recognized the grace of God. Like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, he didn't think more highly of himself than he ought to. At least in these statements right here. These are powerful statements of humility. He recognized, this is what God has given me. And he accepted his lot in life when it, when it was really desirable. When things were going really well and it looked really successful. And he accepted his lot in life when it was really difficult and bitter. So he was a humble man. He recognized his place. He didn't consider himself the, the source, the, the Messiah, the, the Savior. Kind of like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Right? God has called us, his people, to be reflections of his light. We're not the sun. We're not the Messiah. We're not the source. Right? But we reflect. We possess and we reflect Christ, Christ in us. And it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And John was the kind of guy who put the spotlight on Jesus. He described himself as the friend of the bridegroom. I love, I love this imagery here. He's the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the groom. All right, Jesus is the groom. And he's coming back for his bride. Now just think how ridiculous and distasteful it would be for a groomsman or a best man, you know, at a wedding, to just start photobombing all the pictures with the bride and the bridegroom. Like, they're taking pictures, they're cutting the cake, and he's like, hey, jumping in, hey, you know, don't forget me, I'm right here, right? And trying to get all the attention, all the spotlight on him. That, that would be, that, he wouldn't be fulfilling his role, right? And John accepted, like, what this, the, the place of honor that he has is, is significant and it's great and he was content with it and he was joyful. His joy was complete in just standing there and being present at this glorious transition. The Messiah is here. 
He got to announce the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. He got to baptize the Messiah. He got to, to, uh, to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. To help prepare the Israelites to, to get ready because there's someone great coming. May we have this mindset of humility as well. Lastly, I want to highlight that John was a hopeful, hope-filled man. As I mentioned, his hope was in the Messiah. He, in, in Mark 1, he said, After me comes he, he who is mightier than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is humility, but this is also hope. He's, he's looking forward to somebody greater coming. He's looking forward to the Messiah. In John 1, he got to announce Jesus, the Messiah. The next day, Jesus was coming toward him, and he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus said in John 8, before Abraham was I am. So Jesus, the eternal Son of God, Redeemer, shows up on the scene. John gets to announce this good news. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, for the American, the average American, this may not mean a whole lot, but for the Israelites who every year grew up celebrating the Passover, and at the Passover they would have a lamb sacrificed, a lamb without spot or blemish, and they would, they would do what, what, what they were instructed to do in Exodus, to, to take that lamb and, and retell the story of Exodus, of, of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and delivering them and, and bringing them through the Red Sea and bringing great deliverance and great salvation. And every year... The Israelites would reflect on this and they would recite scripture and they, the parents would retell the story of, of, of the rescue that came and, and God sparing the firstborn who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of each home. So from, in the Israelites' mind, what John is saying is massive here. All right? What John is saying is massive here. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb. You know that, that, that whole Lamb thing that we've been doing all these years? Like, he, here's the Lamb. Here's the Lamb of God. And He takes away the sin of the world. He's the ultimate. He would become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. For the sin of the world. So that you and I can experience forgiveness. John got to announce this wonderful news about the Messiah. And John's hope and faith was tested. You know, his ministry didn't last too long, not, not too much longer than a year. But he got thrown in jail. Um, Herod had him in jail. And Matthew records him having questions. Like, is this really him? Like, he already announced Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in Matthew 11, when John, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? 
Are you the one? Are you really the one? Because, see, the Israelites had these, this expectation of what the Messiah would do. And many of them had this expectation that there would be military, an uh, overtaking with military might and power. Right? Many of the zealots, those with the uh, zealot mindset, uh, they, were, they were looking for the Messiah to do that. Um, and so he's asking, in that moment, he's in jail, he's asking, and Jesus answered, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John's hope and his faith was being tested. And, and he, is, he is an example of faithfulness, and he's also an example, uh, his life illustrates the cost that comes along with being faithful to God. For John, it got him in prison. For John, it ended with behead, being beheaded in an early life, a short life. But he was faithful to the end. And perhaps there's some here today who've had some experiences of, of doubting or questioning. Jesus, is this really true? Are you really the Messiah? Are, are you really the one who takes away my sins? Are you, are you really offering eternal life? And perhaps in moments of trial, and are you really good? Are you really sovereign God? Do you really care about me? Perhaps in, in the darkest, most trying times of your life, maybe, maybe you feel perhaps like John felt. Are you the one? Are you... Or should we look for another? And Jesus' answer certainly indicates that, that Jesus was him. He's doing what the Messiah would do. Healing people. Raising the dead. Opening blind eyes. So Jesus' answer indirectly is yes. Quoting the prophet Isaiah. So let me just close here in some application. As we look at the life of John the Baptist, um, I want to encourage you to commit to being set apart for the purposes of God, as he was. He was a man set apart for the purposes of God, a holy man, a righteous man, an honest man, a humble man. Resolve to be a faithful messenger who prepares the way of Jesus and puts the spotlight on him. Jesus is coming back. He came the first time. He's coming back the second time. And there's a lot of people who are sleeping. There's a lot of people who are weighed down with the cares of this life, indulging in sinful practices. And Jesus is going to come back, and they're going to be caught off guard. And so our role as the church is to kind of do what John the Baptist did in calling people to repent and helping people, us being prepared, and us helping others get prepared to see Jesus, to meet Jesus. Because after we go from this life to the next, there's no more second chances. We can't shift sides. It's one or the other. Okay? But we have now. We have today. 
We have the opportunity now. And so we preach repentance. We call one another to repent. We call others who don't know Jesus to turn from their sins and, and to put their trust and faith and hope in Jesus Christ and experience the forgiveness, the redemption. And like John the Baptist, we want to be those who put the spotlight on him, who magnify him. It's not about us. It's about him. Right? As, as a worship leader, I've had many, uh, for, for about over 10 years, I, I had many opportunities of being humbled and like my guitar string broke or, you know, something's wrong with the, the, the PowerPoint or I missed the, 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 the I didn't sing it right. I, I just was totally off key or, um, and just had these moments of like, wow, that felt very humbling. Like in, in that moment, and, and I've been reminded, I've been reminded in those moments, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And so whether I do well, whether I rise or whether I fall, whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to magnify Jesus. I'm going to put the spotlight on Jesus. Whether I get a standing ovation after I preach the gospel on the dark train or whether I get people cussing in my face about to beat me up. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's... And so we want to be those like John the Baptist who exalt him and put the spotlight on him. And lastly, just know that faithfulness to God comes with a costly price in this broken world. Know that there's a price that comes with following Jesus. As we talked about last week about facing rejection on mission, Jesus experienced it. He was rejected by his own hometown. He prepared his disciples for that rejection that would come, he told him, "Hey, shake the dust off your feet. Like, don't let that don't let that keep you from moving forward on mission. You continue to be faithful. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. It's it's just a part of following Jesus. If you're going to be faithful on mission, following Jesus, calling others to repentance, living a lifestyle of repentance, and calling others to repentance, then we're going to experience." The painful sting of rejection. We're going to experience um, persecution, opposition. And so let's just close here in prayer. Brian, if you come on up and lead us, worship team, uh, just lead us in uh, a response time. If you would like prayer this morning, I'd like to pray for anybody uh, that would like prayer for anything at all. Uh, if you're here present or if you're online, you can message us and we'll, we'll pray for any requests that um, you send us. But um, yeah, if you'd like prayer for anything, and, and specifically I want to give an invitation this morning to respond to the message, the, the call to change your mind and change your direction. Is there something that God is calling you to give up today, change your thinking about today, surrender your will to him today instead of holding your life in whatever it is you're holding on to like this like this is mine like Herodias like who are you to tell me I'm doing wrong like humble yourself and open up your hands to God to God you know what you I, what you say is right whether I think it's right or not whether I agree or whether I emotionally agree or not what you say is right and I want to submit to that and so this morning, I just want to call us to a fresh um, dedication of ourselves to the Lord again. 
I think this is something we should do often. Present our bodies as living sacrifice to God. Something that we, as Christians, we've done at one point. But it's something that we continue to do. Saying, God, here I am. Take my life. Fill me. Use me. More of you and less of me. You must increase and I must decrease. Because my flesh and my selfishness and my sin, when it comes out, I don't bless people with it. I just mess things up. I break things. I hurt people. But you, God, Christ, you living through me, your life, your, the, the presence of your spirit, the fruit of your spirit coming through me, it blesses those around me. It honors you. So come fill my life. God, we pray that. We pray that this morning that you would take our lives and fill them, that you would consecrate us, that we would be people set apart, prepared for you, prepared for your return, that we would be those who call others to prepare, to prepare the way for the Lord. May we be found faithful, abiding in you. 1 John 2.29 says, And now children abide in him. Abide in Him so that when He appears, you may have confidence and not shrink back with shame. And we abide in You, faithful.